Welcome to The Kindness Project, the podcast designed to share stories of kindness and share how kindness can make positive change in our world, one small actor. In this week's episode of The Kindness Project, we talk about game shows, wonders, and we have part two of our interview with Charlotte Hill from The Felix Project. Welcome one and all to another amazing episode of The Kindness Project. I am joined by the queen of the stripy shirt, Charlotte Dames, and... The king of chat roulette is Russell Dames. How are we, Russ? That is right. I'm relaunching chat roulette in a different way. Okay. What are you going to call it? Roulette chat? I'm not sure yet. Oh, can we spitball some names? Chat hop. Hot chat. Chat hop. Chat hop. Chat hop. Chat hop is perfect, isn't it? That is. <laughs> Keep your eye out for chat hop, folks. Keep, oh, well, we're, we're all sold in chat hop. That didn't take long, did it? That lasted a while, didn't it? <laughs> that, that was change the world. Just call it chat hop. Job done. Well, okay. Um, so we were speaking the last time we recorded about... Uh, that wasn't actual words. I'm so sorry. A bad, a bad, a bad, um, you did your bagels versus curry for us. Well, I think Russ has got a uh, a game show, um, and it's your turn next time. By the way, so we're doing a game show each. We ready now? Um. Well, yeah. Go on, and let's let's kick off with the game we're, show. What's it we're, called? We're playing Chinese versus Thai. No, well, that's the same format as last week. Chinese versus Thai. Are you ready? No, no, because the format's too similar to curry versus bagel. I was going to go, I was going to go, believe it or not, but I realised Ripley's had already done it. <laughs> what? Believe it or not, right, so all you've done is picked some Chinese anti restaurants and. I thought, just hold on, I thought the name... You pinched what... my format, Russ. Chinese or Thai, that is not even a different like, style of game. One day, I've been busy. Well, I invented a brand new game show and came up with the questions. All you've done, right, when you do yours, you're not allowed to pinch my format. I've got a right? for mine already. You know, yeah, is it is it English or Swiss? <laughs> I mean, oh. cr- Christ on a bike. Chinese or Thai? China. Chinese or Thai? Um, Rather was just pinching my game show idea. That's all that's happening, Gazzy. I've got one. You're good. Is your one? Is your one an original? Yeah. Yeah. Game show. I'll save it as a surprise, and also I haven't done the research yet. Is so. it? Is it called French or German? Absolutely. That's so what it's called. French or German. Right. Oh. No, the the. Let's do Russell's low effort game show. <laughs> Chinese or Thai? Go on in. We're ready. Bao Bai. B A O B E I. You just googled some Chinese restaurants. Well, what's the first one? Bao Bai. B A O B E I. Who's going first? 
you go first. It's exactly the same format as, as my oh, game. Awesome. It's a, that is a tire restaurant. Try nice. Okay. Charlotte you gets one. Charlotte, non-way yeah. tea parlor. Repeat that. Non-way, N-O-M-W-A-H, tea parlor. Hi. The Chinese. Mm-hmm. Nusara. N-U-S-A-R-A. The difference in format is they're all Chinese restaurants. <laughs> um, that is the difference in format. We thought that, that was is a, I'm, I'm gonna, The difference in format is we keep on going tired and they're all Chinese. Gong, what's the name of the... <laughs> <laughs> N-U-S-A-R-A. You can't try it instead, but call it play the right cards just to stop getting sued. N U S A R A. Ty. He is Ty. I'm a weird. Even when he's noticed in a game show, he's just down to business, isn't he? Say it as a word, Russ. Hackersand. Hackersand. Oh, I know this one. I don't. I think it might be Ty, though. Do I leave? <laughs> <laughs> So, no formality. So what's the score? North restaurant. No, stop banging through it. What's the score? <laughs> I don't know. But... You can't even give me the score. <laughs> you can't even give me the score. And you've pinched the concepts. You've not even been imagining. What's it? You, you know, this you're is winning. A... I haven't had one right yet, so you're winning. Right. So I've, I've got a feeling I'm 3 1 up. Right, go on then. Right. North Restaurant. Can score as well as compete. North Restaurant. North. North, N-O-R-T-H. Chinese. Thai. Your one, Charlotte, paste. Thai. He is Thai. Oh, we're, we're equal now. Uh-huh. Alice de Buha. No, you need to pronounce that again. Can you do the accent, please? Police de Burr. French. <laughs> it is French. <laughs> Police de Burr. Oh, that's difficult because it doesn't sound like Chinese or Thai. Do it one more time for me. Police de Burr. Police or police? Pally. P-A-L-A-I-S. D-U-B-O-N-H-E-U-R. Ice Palace. Is it called the Ice Palace? <laughs> Where is this Chinese time restaurant? Paris, France. Oh, that's why it sounds French. Um, Thai. Chinese. Ah, you're winning. Tawana. S-A-A. W double A N. Ty. Here's Ty. I have that down as a draw. I have that down as Charlotte winning. No, that's down as a draw. That's a draw. So you need to do your tiebreaker, Russ. Oh, God. Did you plan a tiebreaker? Just hold on. I've got a couple more on the list. No, 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 no. 
tiebreakers got to be something different. This is uh-huh. where you come up with your original <laughs> idea on the fly, Russ. While we're doing that, I'm going to do Connie's <laughs> news. And we're, while I'll give you, that gives you three minutes to do a little, to work out what your tiebreakers are going to be. That no It needs to be a different format from the one you stole from me and just okay. changed. Okay. <laughs> Go on. Go on. Right. We, while you're working it out, we're going to do a little episode of. <laughs> a mum recalls stylist who took a chance on her when she couldn't afford a haircut. Uh, in 2015, Susan Has was going through one of the hardest periods of her life. She was getting a divorce and fighting for custody of her son. Has had just moved from Pennsylvania to Virginia to be close to him and his father. But she had no friends or family in Virginia, and she needed to find a job. I basically started over and started interviewing, and I got a call back from a company, and they asked me to come in for an interview, and I wanted to look good, as remembered. But I had no money whatsoever. What she needed was a haircut and colour. She didn't feel comfortable doing the highlights herself, and her naturally dark roots were visibly growing out of her dyed blonde hair. The roots, I swear, the roots were so dark. I mean, you could plant pansies in these roots. That's how bad it is. I needed a cut and colour. Hence took a chance and decided to call her the salon she had visited when she first moved to Virginia. She asked to talk to the owner, a woman named Yvonne, and said, listen, I've got an interview coming up, job interview coming up. I need a full cut and colour and highlights. And it explained that she was a mum going through a divorce and didn't have any money. Uh, what she offered was um, to pay, once she gets the job, at the first pay- paycheck. Um, Yvonne told her she was also a mother and agreed. They did a beautiful job of my hair. It boosted my confidence. Um, and I went for the job. And effectively, um, she got it and therefore supported her. And I love that. You know, just gifting. Kindness hasn't got to be about money. No. It can be just about giving somebody the confidence so that they feel special. And on the next one, overwhelmed by kindness, uh, volunteers spruce up Paisley uh, Nursery. A beloved garden in a Paisley nursery has received a brand new makeover from volunteers. The good deed for Rainbow Nursery was done by the energy company workers who are part of SGN's Community Action Programme. The scheme gives employees one day of company time each year to volunteer. I like this concept, that one day one day each year to volunteer. And they help an organisation or a charity of their choice. SGN is an energy company that manages a network with, which distributes natural and green gas to around 6 million homes and businesses around Scotland and southern England. It's local to me and I walk past it every day. Uh, said Faye uh, Hislop, who is SGN's environment manager, manager. So it was great to finally be able to help with the Paisley team. The nursery seemed really happy with what we achieved, and that's the main thing. While we're helping transform the nursery, the volunteers weeded the garden, painted the vents, and made over a rusty gate that needed sanding and sprucing up. 
Wayne Bow Nursery's part of the Childcare First Group, a registered charity run by a board of volunteers that operates on a not-for-profit basis. And Alan Cunningham, Rainbow Nursery's manager, said we are overwhelmed by the kindness of the team to give up their time to help out the nursery. We're a charity and everything we do is for the benefit of the children. So it's amazing when we receive support, but for others doing good. We're so grateful for the work they do. And again, that is, uh, for me, a real sign of um, practical kindness in action. Uh, it hasn't got to be about making cash donations. Sometimes it's about just getting stuck in. And certainly, um, you know, a bunch of me and a bunch of mates have done that in the past where we helped um, uh, landscape school grounds for the kids to benefit. So, and the mental health card then you went and helped with, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. My, my, the mine meant, in Haven, my mental health card, and we helped out with that as well. So I think sometimes the assumption is kindness has got to be about giving, has got to be about money. When in actual fact, there's charities out there that are really interested in your time, effort, energy and commitment. So um, look at opportunities to get involved. And I'd like to thank Riders for his commitment and getting an amazing tiebreaker <laughs> for our game have, of have. Chinese versus Thai. No, I call this Seven Wonders and their modern day cities. Oh, the Temple of Artemis. Right, what's the format of the game? Format of the game, the tiebreak. So you both pick a modern day city that the Temple of Artemis is in, and okay, I, I, I'm gonna go for Athens. Temple of Artemis. Yeah. You're, you're both going Athens? Yeah. No, it's Ephesus. I don't even know where that is. That's in Turkey. I've been to Ephesus because they've got the... Uh, they've that, got... Is, that is the Temple of Artemis. This is going down well, isn't it? This tiebreaker. The, the Great Lighthouse. Oh, the Great Lighthouse. Is in... Gr oh. well, the Great Lighthouse originally was in, in Alexandria, wasn't it? So I'm gonna go for have we gotta get it on the nose. Yeah. Greece. Yeah. Syria. Egypt. Right. Oh, if it was in Alexandria. Hanging Gardens of Babylon. Rainham. <laughs> Rainham. <laughs> Um, Canning Town, <laughs> East London. Uh, it's a nice, easy one for you. The Colossus, Rome, mm. Rhodes, in Greece. <laughs> this tiebreaker is dragging on in a in a big way. A tiebreaker is meant to be one question. Where oh, one you've got you've got six of the seven wrong. I'd hope you'll get this one. Big Ben, London. <laughs> the Great Pyramids. Um, that the Great Pyramids are in Giza. Giza. Um, hey! 
Um, this is exactly why I never went with that format originally. Because you wasn't going to get any Why did you go for the tiebreaker with that format then? We've, we've the problem just because you, you took the mic out and doing tie and try right, to. Hold on, hold on. Right, the problem we've got now is nobody's won. So it's not an actual tiebreaker, is it's it? It's a tie. It's 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 a tie. It's no. not Chinese, it's tie. Russ's punishment for um, losing last time was he had to come up with his quiz, and it's my turn next anyway, so it's fine. Whilst <laughs> um, uh, might be losing it doing this quiz, I'm losing the will to live. The idea of a tiebreaker is that somebody actually will. Well, luckily, he's not a game show host, is it? Anyway, on that note, let's move on to the amazing Charlotte Hill, part two of our interview with her, and just completely ignore the fact that Russ doesn't know how a tiebreaker works. Um, Charlotte um, is the MD of the Felix Project. They do brilliant work in the community. Loved her enthusiasm, her passion, her drive, the amazing work they do, and the amount of just social impact they've got on the world i absolutely loved it let's talk to charlotte and slowly move over from uh the fact that russ doesn't know how to wish her something you said earlier was really interesting because it was that communal nature of food as well like the the power to sit down at a meal and have a conversation that you probably wouldn't have if yeah. you were in an office or in a in, in in an environment that felt more formal. Tell me a bit more about that. Well, it's the power of bringing people together. So, as I said, in East London, we often all sit together because with Felix's kitchen that's there, we do 5,000 meals a day out of surplus food that goes out to community partners. But also anybody who's in the depot sits down together and has lunch together. Now, the thing I love, particularly out East in our East London depot, is because it's a 15-minute walk from Canary Wharf, we get huge teams of people who are quite often, one, sit behind a desk all day, and two, even though they all work for the same organisation, since the pandemic, they often don't see each other very often because they're all working in different places, hybrid working, whatever. And they come together and they do a physical shift in our, you know, in our depot, moving food around or in our kitchen. They're they're physically tired. They know that literally thousands of people are going to eat that evening because of the work they've done that day. And they all sit together Mm. and have a meal with other people that they volunteered with that day. And it is the most rewarding thing because they probably haven't engaged. One, one, they feel like they've had an impact that's really positive. (laughs) Two, they feel like they've done something physical, which is always a good thing to do. But three, they've sat down and had a communal meal and some communal time with with their colleagues and with other people in a way that they wouldn't and all of our community partners say the same you know they use the power of food to, to bring people together and then around that they help them with their immigration status or their employability yeah. stuff or whatever it is mm, yeah. Um, yeah, so yeah it's incredibly it's incredibly powerful i absolutely love it and and in terms of i suppose the big thing is Sort of the gap that you the gap that you feel because you think of these large sort of restaurants and 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 uh, supermarkets and organisations. 
what happens if you you don't exist? Does that money? Does that food just go in the bin? What? Where's the gap? Yeah, two things can happen. So either it goes in the bin and to landfill, which is terrible, mm. or it can go to anaerobic digestion, which is effectively turning it into animal feed or fertilizer or, or things. Mm. So being used in some way, but obviously, it being used for human consumption is the yeah. priority. Um and. People don't really get it. I think they think it's going to be, oh, it's the stuff that's coming to the end of its use-by date. And sometimes it's that. But actually, quite often, there are gluts of seasonal produce, for example. So, Mm. you know, at the moment, we're in banana season and we get loads of bananas just because of there's overproduction because there's gluts in 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 the yeah. seasonality but also um i'll give you an example of you know if there's a bank holiday weekend and we think it's going to be sunny and then it rains all weekend there's all that barbecue food that no one bought that they, gotcha. they got in and then there's seasonal stuff like for example in december everyone stops eating yogurts because they're all eating mince pies and so there's just tons of surplus yogurts and so there's, right. there's lots of different things packaging might change you know also, and there's, as you say, there's elements you can't predict. Like if you have yeah. a poor weather weekend, it might impact the amount of spare stuff. How yeah. does that? How does that impact the way you plan? I mean, or is is part of the plan you can't plan? Yeah, you know what? It, I I realised quite early on here. This is a place you either love working and you thrive in in that uncertainty. Or you don't like for some people yes. they come and and not being able. So it's really interesting. We often bring the chief executive. You need like, to just like yeah. You need to be able to go with the flow. So the, the, we have chief execs of some of our big you know supermarket chain partners who come and they're first of all blown away by the professionalism in our, in our depots. They're like this feels like one of our depots. It feels so incredibly professional, but they also cannot get their head around the fact that first of all, if our costs go up. We can't pass those cost increases on to anybody else because we don't charge people for anything. So they can't kind of get their head around that. But also they can't get their head around the uncertainty. This idea that we have uncertain food supply and we have uncertain workforce and all of this stuff. Like, I think if you're used to running a kind of a a business in a very structured way, this level of uncertainty would probably drive you crazy. Now, what I've discovered is, is I love it. I absolutely love it. it. No two days are the same. Yeah. Every day. Yeah. There is a how, do you, how, do you, how do you cope with the, uh, I mean, I, I suppose every business has its un, unknowns, doesn't it? But how, how, how do you cope with the pressure that that sometimes brings? By working with outstanding people. Honestly, yeah. mm-hmm. it is a really great team effort. And Charlotte, you were talking about partnerships. Basically, it's a, it's a, it's a group of people who are really like first of all very innovative very entrepreneurial very problem solving and also happy to work at a pretty fast pace so it's a fast moving because of the nature of food and the fact that most of the food that comes in in the mornings will be gone by the afternoons like it's a very fast turnover of of food we have to problem solve pretty quickly you know if, if you know Something happens. You've got to have just one. You've, you've got, got to, to deal with it in the day, haven't you? You've got to trust yeah, your colleagues, yeah. and you've got yeah. to all pull together, and you've got to figure stuff out quickly. Um, so yeah, the, the the way we do it is by having really brilliant, positive, problem solving colleagues who who love want to that. figure out how to how to get stuff mm. done. <laughs> Absolutely love that, Charlotte. Have you got another question? Yep. Yeah. Uh, so, what's the Canary Wharf Green Scheme, and how does it support the work you guys do? 
So this is a new thing we've just launched with the Canary Wharf Group, which is one of my favourite like partnerships we've just um, done this year. So effectively, I met the CEO of the Canary Wharf Group, a brilliant guy called Shobi, and he was talking all about their kind of vision of having a really sustainable estate across Canary Wharf. Yeah. And I was saying, look, you've now got over 65 food outlets across the Canary Wharf estate. Since the Elizabeth Lines come there, it's becoming a real destination for... Destination, yeah. There's like 40,000 people who live on the estate now. And you've got all of those tower blocks of all of those different businesses. And you have some of the most deprived wards in Europe on your doorstep. Tower Hamlets, Newham, they are Mm. hugely, they are areas where we know there is massive demand for food. So we kind of came up with this idea of how could we harness all of those potential volunteers in Canary Wharf to go and help us pick up all of the surplus food from each of those food outlets on the Canary Wharf estate and help us get it to the communities that that need it in East London. So the green scheme basically is something we do in central London and we've just moved it across to to Canary Wharf as well, where basically the the food doesn't come via a depot. So if you think of all those quick service restaurants, you know, the pretz, all of those sorts of things that are always going to have sandwiches and soups and salads and things at the end of the day. They don't want to come via a depot because really they need to be eaten that day. So we get volunteers with Felix rucksacks to on foot or on bicycle to go and pick them up from each of those different quick service restaurants at Canary Wharf and then walk and walk and drop them off at a community partner. And so our our vision vision is, is that we want to get every single business at Canary Wharf involved in volunteering. We want to get every single food outlet across the Canary Wharf estate, getting all of their surplus to us. So environmentally, it's a zero waste, um, you know, food waste um, kind of community. So nothing goes through a depot as part of the green scheme. It's from from partnered straight to distribution and then then, ah, interesting. Okay, that's really good. And the point you make about so I'm from Canning Town in Newham originally, yeah. um, and and the point you make we we interviewed a guy who's really inspirational actually. He's a guy called Emmanuel, and he's um, he does loads. Um, I've known him for years, and he does loads of financial education uh, and uh, does a lot on Channel Four and a lot on the media. But he's a he's, he's got a really interesting story because he um, was brought up in one of the tower blocks over in the uh, less affluent parts and it's and he said he used to look over at canary wolf yeah. and go that feels like a different planet you know it feels yeah. somewhere and it's interesting that that part of the world that that you've got this line haven't you that feels like just and it's it, I, I suppose i suppose part of that community thing is how do you engage with people on both sides of the line to make sure that they're aware of the opportunities that are available in that part of the world exactly that exactly that but also get people to realize how much they get out of volunteering so i think people think oh i'm going to go and do some good and isn't it a nice thing to do and what actually people realize is, is one it's great fun two they have this amazing buzz afterwards because they've done something really like with purpose, as we were talking about earlier. Yeah, but yeah, they yeah. meet new people. They're part of a new community. They, I don't know, there's something so powerful about the kind of interconnecting that happens when, when people come and volunteer. But, but also, also, I mean, I wrote about this in the book because, sorry, I, we published a book based on the podcast last yeah. year that that we um, that we, we're sort of using as a, as a bit of a fundraising to a fundraising opportunity. Um, and it's a really blunt way of saying it, but kindness is also a bit... 
selfish because yeah. actually it kicks in all of the amazing chemicals and dolphins yeah. uh, that that actually make you feel better. So when I do a charity thing or um, I give blood, yeah. I always joke that when I when I give blood, the reason that I mainly go is because I like to be cheeky to nurses. But there's actually. <laughs> Um, uh, the advantage is that now they send me any, you talk about that communication thing, blood donation is amazing at communication. Yeah. I mean, can I just say one thing before I talk about that? I My experience of working with you guys, just getting this interview um, sorted out, is that your the professionalism of your team Aww. goes all the way across the, the board, including your communications team. So, oh, And that's not my experience in dealing with all charities. To be oh, fair. that's great so, to hear. Thank you. So so I, I, I want, I, no, I wanted to say thank you because you made our experience of working with you a lot um, a, a lot easier than, than, than it. Sometimes it is and then sometimes it's not, not because I think people are always trying their best. But I think the culture you've built in terms of getting stuff done right is, is definitely coming across in an amazing way. Oh. Um, but the communication of the uh, of uh, when I give blood, I get an email the next day or, or, or like the next day and then in a couple of weeks saying, "Here's where your blood's used. Here's the hospital it's been in, and here's what we've used it for." And you go, you know what? I'm just that that gives me a boost. You know, that yeah. gives me a boost. I just mm. I think that element of it is really really important. Sorry, yeah. Charlotte. Did you uh, did you have? I, I was just going to say, I thought you gave blood for the free biscuits, but <laughs> mainly the mainly the cheeky to nurses. Reason one, <laughs> free biscuits is reason two. Yeah. The fact that it's doing a bit of good is reason three. <laughs> <laughs> and then reason four is the biscuits again. So I don't know if you had those two up. It turns into reason one. Yeah. <laughs> I don't reason know. That, reason two is the the first biscuit they give you. Reason four is the second one. Reason five is when I go back and get an extra set of biscuits, but I really shouldn't do that. <laughs> have you have you have you got another question? Yeah. Um, so you've recently uh, refurbished uh, your depot. And how how did that go? And what improvements have been made? since that refurbishment? Great question. So, yeah, our North London depot in Enfield, we've just refurbished. And we did that for a number of reasons. One was because we wanted to expand our chiller and freezer capacity. So we set up, you know, this is one of those weird sentences you never expected to say, but we formed a partnership with His Majesty the King last year. Um, And he's a massive passionate advocate for the circular economy. He's for years, decades and decades and decades talked about environmental issues and how we should not be wasting things and all of those things. So he became a personal donor to the Felix project last year because he wanted to support our work, which is uh, outstanding. I mean, what an amazing thing. And he brought together a group of funders to help us invest in fridge and freezer capacity in our community organisation. So we put 800 fridges and freezers out into small grassroots community organisations to meet you guys in the life of surplus food by freezing it, but also accept more chilled and frozen products. Because a lot of that uncertainty we talked about is that the seasonality of surplus food yeah. means it's quite uncertain. Whereas if we can freeze it, then when we've got like dips in... It lasts can, longer, right? It lasts yeah. longer. 
Yeah. Exactly. So part of the refurb of Upper Enfield was putting in bigger chillers and bigger freezer capacity so we could do more of that. But yeah. also, we really want to be a charity that is for everybody. So no matter who you are in London, we want you to know you can come and play your part of the Felix Project. So we also wanted to improve the accessibility on site. So we were looking at actually, how do we make it more accessible for people in wheelchairs? How do we make it easier for those who are visually impaired? How do we make it more welcoming for people who are new? neurodiverse so it was also around kind of making it a more accessible place for people and after the pandemic we want to make sure all of our colleagues are able to come back and work in the depot so we also put some more office space and stuff in similar to where i am now sitting upstairs above above one of our depots because for me one of the things back to your question about culture is that we are all in this together whether you are in the fundraising team or the finance team or or down on the depot floor everybody puts on their high vis and helps out so having enough space for all our different colleagues to be able to work in the depots is also important um so yeah it's been brilliant and we opened it um we opened it officially a month or so ago um okay. up at Enfield. but to be honest as is the way with the felix project we never closed it so we did the whole refurbishment <laughs> whilst completely working out of it we had porter cabins outside not a single community organization missed a single delivery through the whole of the refurbishment because my colleagues are just amazing and um yeah figured out how to keep the keep the show on the road that that that's incredible isn't it as opposed to just closing down and I, i'd imagine that's part of the challenge right you know expanding the reach but also making sure that you're consistent with, 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 with delivery. Yeah. yeah, it doesn't stop. It doesn't stop. One. People really rely on us and we are really yeah. conscious of that. We have built a great level of trust with our community partners and that is based on, you know, a proper partnership, as I was talking about yeah. earlier, and therefore uh, take that really seriously. I, th- I, th- I, sp- I suppose it's interesting, isn't it? You know, we like the idea would be we'd live in a world where the Felix Project didn't exist. Because we'd 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 be we'd be there, but clearly clear, clearly there's the, the size and scope of the gap means it needs to. Charlotte, have you got another question? Yeah. Um, so you've spoke, sorry, you've spoken a bit about the Felix Kitchen, but how does that sort of fit into into the mission? Like you've spoken a bit about it, but just to go into more detail. Yeah, so it's it's quite a new part of our infrastructure. So basically, during the pandemic, what became clear was for some people, them taking raw produce home was no good at all because they didn't have the ability or the means to to cook it. So giving them a bag of potatoes is no good because if you're homeless, what are you going to do with a bag of potatoes? Or if you're worried about energy prices, exactly. You wanna, yeah, yeah, yeah go exactly. Check. So. The idea was kind of um, hatched a couple of years ago during the pandemic to open something called Felix's Kitchen, where we would use the surplus produce that we get. So it comes out of the depot and into the kitchen. And the chefs there are absolutely outstanding. They're some of my absolute favourite colleagues, because you can imagine it's like a massive ready, steady cook because they don't know what food (laughs) they're going to have in the morning. They literally... It, it could be anything. So they've got to be really creative to create 5,000 meals a day out of surplus food. They're working with volunteers. So they also have a you know workforce who don't often know how to cook. Um, yeah. And then they've got to also 
make sure they're making culturally appropriate food. So it's over in East London, our, our kitchen. And for lots of the communities we're serving, for cultural reasons, they're vegetarian. It might be halal. Yeah. Exactly, it might be halal. So they've got to, they can't just like create whatever they want out of that surplus food. They've got to create food that is appropriate for the communities we're serving. So it's a massive challenge. Um, anyway, and talking of a challenge, during um, the coronation weekend, we were part of the big help out, which was um, trying to get more people volunteering across the kind of coronation weekend. And so we got Annika Rice, who's probably way out of your kind of zone of knowledge, Charlotte, but Chris, you might know. Um, she okay. used to do this thing called Challenge Annika, where she would take on a challenge and make it happen. And so anyway, she came and did a day at the kitchen with us to help oh, us. Oh, amazing. Yeah, to, basically okay. to help us beat, beat the number of meals we've ever produced out of the kitchen. Um, and so we were followed by on the BBC all day. Like they, we were on BBC Breakfast, like looking at how the challenge was going and stuff. With, with oh, the fabulous. Love yeah, it was that. awesome. I love it's challenge. Awesome. I forgot about challenge, Annika, and you've just reminded me. It was like... <laughs> So I remember, I remember Challenge Annika, and I also remember Treasure Hunt. Do you remember when yes, she did that? She was I in do. a helicopter going around, and that was really good. Yeah. I, I, I mean, the problem is being a kid from the eighties. Yeah. I get really excited about. Like, I, I get really nostalgic about the eighties. I, I was once at a music festival down in Lulworth, Castle in Dorset, and saw Michaela Strachan. Oh yeah. Around. Like this is this is I, I can't this can't get any better. Clearly, <laughs> exactly. I've seen I've seen Michaela Strachan in the flesh. I am um, with you. What was unnerving about Annika Rice was she looked exactly the same as she did in the eighties. I was like, amazing, how have I aged so much more than you? How is this possible? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I was only about four foot two at the start of the eighties, so I was like, <laughs> yeah, I, I, if I hadn't aged, that would have been worrying. Yeah. To be honest, that <laughs> it's would true. Have been, it's true. That would have been scary. So, I, I mean, so much has been done in the past seven years. Did you say that yeah. organisations been running? What does the future look like? <sighs> Goodness me! I mean, there is, as ever so many plans of what we want to do so first of mm. all we want to get better at using technology so for me the scalable bit of what we do is that green scheme that we talked about because running depots and warehouses is incredibly expensive and so we can't just keep opening more and more depots yeah. because it costs a lot whereas that green scheme where people go on foot pick up the food and drop manage it, it locally off, right yeah. manage it locally um that is one environmentally our lightest footprint on the planet because depots yeah. also use a lot of energy and all of that stuff. Um, but two, it's our most cost-effective thing to scale because it's it's the cheapest. It's a volunteer and a bike. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And so we've been creating technology that means that we can scale that um, and people basically register their interest on an app. The food suppliers register their interest on an app. And so it's much more automated. So mm. looking at ways we can do more um, in the most cost-effective way and using technology smarter is a big thing. Another big thing that we've got coming is how we do more about getting more produce from the farm gates. So we know that lots of the surplus is, is at the farm and it's ploughed back into the fields or it's um, sent to anaerobic digestion rather than coming to be feeding people. So we've got a lot of work to do. Who are your biggest suppliers? Like in in terms of the – is it the supermarkets? Is it the restaurants? Is it the farms? Where does most of the, the, the produce come from? So we are a proud part of the Fair Share Network. So Fair Share have a network of 18 partners all across the country, and we're the London yeah. partner. And so a lot of our food comes, they hold the kind of national relationships with the big 
brands like Tesco's and others. So about 40% of our food comes from fair share and their relationships. And about 60% of our food comes from our own relationships in London. And it's from people like Amazon Fresh. It's from people like um, um, Ocado, an amazing partner of ours. Um, HelloFresh, you know, really, really brilliant, you know, partners who, because of their business model, have got surplus in their system, and they want to make sure that surplus does great social impact. Um, Love so that. a massive range, a massive range. And then we have one-off um, things that we do from events. So, for example, this weekend, FA Cup final weekend, across the hotels and all of the hospitality and everything at Wembley, there will be surplus. So we will get all the surplus from big events. So we've got a big relationship right. with Lords. And if the test match goes to four days rather than five, all the food they were going to use on day five, we go and pick up. And, and so there's... There's so many different ways we get food from various different places. But also that 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 element of food waste you never just you just don't think about, do you? Yeah. You know, big events mm. that they need to make sure that they've got enough food to cater for eighty thousand people. There's yeah. bound to be an element of waste there. Exactly. Right? I'll tell you one of the partnerships I loved. So when the Queen died, there was this massive queue of people waiting to see her land state, and people were queuing yeah. for like twenty four yeah. hours. Now the scouts were young volunteers who were managing that queue and they at the front had this like airport security basically so everybody had to hand over their food you couldn't take food in and the scouts scouts were like this is terrible there's so much great food being chucked away so they phoned us up and they said can you send rolling vans in over this week to pick up food these brilliant young people, it was completely led by the scouts. They collected and sorted all of that food. So we were just getting the stuff that was still packaged and all of that yeah, stuff. Yeah, that you could use. They rescued yeah. five tonnes of food for us from that queue. of people Because people had been queuing for so long, they'd gone past your Marks and Spencers and your Waitrose and they had all of this food. Five yeah. tonnes of food. It just shows there are so many amazing, innovative partnerships that we can have. Mm. And food in places you'd never imagine. Yeah, and 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 help help me. Out. And I know how hungry scouts can be, so I'm surprised <laughs> you've got any of it, to be honest. But um, uh, the bit that the bit that I, I'm just trying to square the circle in my own head, and 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 I, I, it's probably an obvious answer, but I, I need sort of need to ask a question. A ton of food typically feeds how many families for how long? Oh goodness, it depends on the food. So yeah. uh, that's not a very good answer, but basically different food has different kind of value. And what we try right, and do, right. we want to try and give a rounded kind of set of produce. So it's it's fresh fruit and veg and it's the sort of yeah, food that people want Shopping a healthy bag, right? people yeah, want yeah. a healthy mix. So don't get me wrong, we say yes to all sorts of surplus, but the idea yeah. is, you know, that farm gate surplus that's really amazing mm. fresh produce. We do a huge amount with primary schools. We have this programme with primary schools and we want to make sure those kids are getting amazing fresh produce. So we do a lot around holiday hunger, supporting kids who would be getting free school meals um, and don't in the holidays. Yeah. So as much as possible, it's around how do we get really high quality mixed produce to yeah. the people who need it. Um, right. So yeah, it's a, it's not an easy, not a straightforward question. It's yet. not because just the nature of the food and the different. Exactly. Yeah, you know, yeah. And and if people have been inspired by this interview, and yeah. how could they not be? To be honest, I mean, <laughs> I've really. Uh, shall I have you found today? Yeah, it was really interesting. Yeah, I I think so, and and, and again. Your the passion for the Felix project shines through from you, Charlotte. I think it's absolutely brilliant. If anyone wants to get involved, what where's where do they start? 
go and look at our website as a starting point. That on there, it's how you can volunteer, which is an amazing way to help. How you can donate money if you want to. If you're a food supply partner, if you run a restaurant or a cafe or whatever, it's how you can get involved as a food supply partner. If you want to do a challenge event for us, you know, we've always got different events people can get involved in. There are lots of different volunteering opportunities. So it could be if you want to do administrative stuff or if you want to be in the depot or if you want to be a driver, there's so many different ways you can get involved. So go and check it out on the website and get in touch and come and roll up your sleeves and get um, become part of the Felix community. Do you get a high fees is the most important. Definitely. Question. Everyone, for health and safety, everyone has to wear a high vis. I Perfect. think we're going to get you one. We've got your Felix project on the back. <laughs> that sounds really good. Um, thank you, Vincent Ivory. Oh, no. And uh, just so everybody knows where they can find us, can you just shout out the website so that they can go direct? www.thefelixproject.org. Uh Charlotte Hill, I've loved today. I've Aww. really enjoyed talking to you. Um, uh, you know, certainly, um, certainly, the understanding a bit more about the Phoenix Project has been brilliant. Thank you for being such an amazing guest. Thank you so much for having me, and um, yeah, it's been an absolute joy to meet you both. You too. That was part two of the interview with Charlotte. Um, uh, hopefully, you enjoyed that. Yeah, it was really good. And we are moving on to the end. end. the end of another podcast, the end of the truth of the end, because the end is always the beginning of something entirely new. And that entirely new thing isn't a time show from Rata, is no, it? No, it's Blaise, it's The love of God. I looked at the camera like I was being dramatic, but the only person on the other side is Russell. And he's, he's, he's trying to work out what 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 life's meaning he's is after that. He's staring vacantly into the distance, thinking about how 42 and game shows go together. Um, <laughs> What's a joke? Is it a Reader's Digest? One? It is a Reader's Digest. <laughs> oh, the oh, you are oh, better than you are. They had so much kudos to it. Huh? They had so much kudos to it. There's a Reader's Digest one. I love that yesterday. I, was I, I actually, I thought of a new um, game show format. I've, I've just <laughs> literally on the fly. I'm going to keep it in his head. Original Reader's Digest. I'm going to. I, it, 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 it's going to be called Reader's Digest. Um, no, I'm keeping it to myself, but Russell, you've got to promise me that whatever format I pick, you won't steal it the following I'll way. I'll right, good. Is it just you pull quotes from books or you make us guess which books they're from? Oh! No, it wasn't. Did that. He, he pulled opening lines uh, and made us guess which books they were from. Uh, because he wanted to show us how impactful opening lines in books were. Amazing. Love that. Um, we might do that at some point. What do you call a parade of rabbits hopping backwards? Don't know. I'm receding hairline. Oh, a receding hairline. Even Russell, that was bad. Oh, God. It gets worse. On that note, my friends, have a lovely week, and we'll see you on the Kindness Project soon. Bye. Bye.